Well, my name's Stephen. I'm with Pastor here. I want to start just by reading Matthew 18, 21 and 22 to get us started. Here's what it says. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how many, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus replied, nope, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Peter's asking this like really honest question that I think all of us have phrased in our minds at one time or another. How many times do I have to forgive that fill-in-the-blank person, whoever that person is? How many times do I have to forgive the, the jerk at work, my, my boss or my coworker? How many times do I have to forgive my best friend for telling that really embarrassing and like not flattering story about me to their entire group of friends? How many times do I have to forgive my spouse for uh, being insensitive? and not thinking through the way that, that I would want them to react to that. How many times do I have to forgive my kids for anything and everything? How many times do I have to forgive? It's a very simple question, right? We've all asked this. We've all wondered it in our hearts. And Jesus, with no sarcasm, with no frustration, looks Peter in the eye, and he says this. He says, Peter, and I think he says it to us too, the arithmetic of forgiveness is hard. How many times? More times than you think is reasonable. More times than you think is normal. And definitely more times than you think is healthy. That's how many times you need to forgive. More times than you can count. How's that for a fun one from Jesus? It gets us, right? It's hard. It's a hard one. Sarah and I have adopted this phrase with our girls that I must admit she's much better at uh, remembering in the moment to do than I usually am uh, because it all depends on having the the mental ability and the emotional uh, wherewithal to say it in the right uh, amount of time within a 30-second gap there. Uh, But if the girls do something that we're like, eek, you probably did not really want to say that or do that, uh, and you're going to really regret it if I just keep going from this point. Uh, we'll look at him and we'll say, do you want to redo? And the girls have learned. They have learned by this point that if we offer them a redo, they sure as heck want to redo. They want to take us up on that offer. It is worth it. At the very least, it saves them a lecture, which who doesn't want to save on a lecture, right? Uh, At the worst, it saves on a timeout or some other consequence that's going to come because of the thing that they just said or did, uh, with most of the time without even really thinking. Unfortunately for the rest of us, we don't get many redos, right? I don't don't get many at least. That's just not a reality for the rest of life. We don't have uh, a video editing software for our life that we can go in and we can cut out the past two minutes and throw it in the trash and delete it so nobody could ever see it and then place back in our perfect, normal, healthy response of how we know that we should have talked to that person who we actually do like or love and actually care about instead of the way that we just said what we said. We don't have that option. Time is irreversible. It only goes in one direction. And so we, like Peter, are stuck 
trying to figure out this insanely hard and yet simple question, how do I live a life that's filled with forgiveness? How do I live a life of reconciliation? What does that look like? This morning, we're going to finish our Lenten series on forgiveness and repentance. And we're going to do it by looking in depth at what forgiveness means for us as followers of Jesus. We'll be in Matthew 18. So if you have a Bible, feel free to uh, open up to there. And if you don't have one, we have Bibles in the back that you can grab at any time uh, during the service. But before we jump into the text, I want to throw out three things about Jesus's views on forgiveness that have been causing people to stumble for the past 2,000 years because they're kind of revolutionary. They're kind of outside the box. Here's the first thing. Jesus's idea that his followers would have a heart attitude, a base instinct, would train themselves to have a base instinct of forgiveness towards other people instead of strict justice was mind-blowing at the time. No one did that. Nobody thought like that. Jesus's own kind of uh, cultural people group that he was a part of, the Jewish people, looked at how much he forgave people and thought that it was pretty ridiculous. Theirs was a culture that was based on an idea of strict justice, which most of our cultures are. That's kind of normal. So the idea that we would instinctively forgive people before asking for whatever consequence needs to happen to them was kind of mind-blowing. It was earth-shattering for people. We are a little bit more used to it because we've heard that, but for them it was hard. It was new. The second view is that for Jesus, and this one's going to be a little hard, so I'll prepare you a little bit. For Jesus, one of the tests of how he knows that you're really a follower of his is that you forgive other people. Jesus doesn't judge us on a lot as his followers, but one of the things that he does judge us on is our willingness to forgive other people who have repented. Ouch, right? That's a hard one, but it's real. It's one of the things that he holds up as a litmus test for us. And lastly, as this section tells us, this conversation with Peter tells us, forgiving others has no limit to followers of Jesus. It's not seven. It's not 70. It's not 77. It's not 490. It's limitless. It's innumerable. That's how many times we're called to forgive others. And before we go before I could see it all in your eyes. Like you're starting down that logic rabbit trail and I know where you're going. You're starting, but yeah, we'll get there. But first, here's why. Because you've been forgiven. I've been forgiven innumerable times. We forgive others that many times because that's the reality that we know that Jesus has given to us. We're living out what he shows us. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Matthew 18 this morning. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come to speak to us this morning. God, I do just pray that you will soften our hearts when it comes to forgiveness. 
It's so easy to hold on to past hurts, um, especially from people who maybe haven't asking, asked for forgiveness. It's so easy to not want to admit the things that we've done that have caused other people pain. But the reality is, Jesus, that we want to live lives as followers of you that reflect your grace, your mercy, your generosity towards others, your love. So I pray that this morning that you will help us to look for forgiveness, not to run from it. And I pray, Jesus, this morning for each one of us that we will accept the forgiveness that you offer to us with open hands and with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His servant fell down before him and begged for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Shouldn't you have mercy just as I had mercy on you? Let's start with the hard part first, because honestly, I don't think any of us will think about the rest of it until we get to the hard part. Uh, these last two verses are pretty tricky. Uh, they're pretty difficult to hear. That's what your father will do to you if you refuse to forgive. There's a reason that we don't want to talk about these verses very often, and that's because they're pretty sticky. Uh, it's a pretty messy one to, to have to go down. But Jesus is super clear on something that I think that it's helpful for us to understand, and that's this that a major part of us being forgiven is us forgiving other people. A major part of it. But it feels vague, right? You're like, okay, I don't know. Like, okay, forgive everybody then. You know, like, it's great. So I want to ask two questions. One, who do we forgive? And two, what happens if I don't? Because I think those are pretty 
good questions for us to ask ourselves as we deal with this. So first, who do we forgive? And I think the question that at least comes to my mind when I hear Peter's encounter with Jesus, when he's saying like, how many times? Is, is simply this. What about the person who really hurt me? How many times do I have to forgive them? You know, the one the one sitting right over there, the one who didn't ask for forgiveness, or the one who did, and let's be honest, that wasn't real, or the one who just flat out refuses to change, and they, you know, they apologize all the time, but it doesn't really matter because it doesn't actually bring any change in their life. Do I actually have to forgive that person? What about them? And that deserves an answer. And I think, unfortunately, it's not an answer that we give in the church maybe quite enough. So let me say this really about as clearly as I can. Following Jesus does not mean that you continue to subject yourself to abuse. It does not. Turning the other cheek, forgiving people innumerable times does not mean that you leave yourself in a situation where somebody is hurting you in some way, physically, emotionally, uh, verbally, etc. That's just flat out not what Jesus is talking about. And here's why. Because forgiveness isn't just like washing it. It's not kind of pretending like it never happened. It's naming what happened. It's addressing the realities of it, addressing the fact that you were hurt, that things did happen that need to be worked through. That's part of forgiveness. Forgiveness never involves throwing a rug over any type of, of encounter. It never involves throwing it into that back closet and throwing the padlock on and tossing the key and just hoping that you never have to deal with it again. That is not forgiveness. That's not reconciliation. That's avoidance. And avoidance is unhealthy and unhelpful and not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus loves you and he wants you to be in relationships that are safe, that are healthy, and that reflect his love. End of story. I don't think I need to go too much further down that. We know what that means. The hard reality for us as people who are forgiving others is that our forgiveness doesn't cause them to repent. Right? That'd be super convenient. I would love that. Be great. Go up to my kids. I'm like, I forgive you. And they're like, Oh, really? I'm so sorry for all those things that I said to you earlier today. That's, that's just amazing. Or, you know, you go up to the guy that, that cut you off when you were driving that you're saying loud words to in your car, and you're like, I'm sorry. You know, I forgive you for cutting me off. And they're like, I've been waiting all day for somebody to say that about my driving. Yes, give me a hug instead of a, you know. Uh, <laughs> Forgiveness doesn't mean that they're going to repent. It's just not part of the equation. That's nice. We hope that that happens. Because I think forgiveness can open the door for repentance, but it's not a guarantee. There's just no way around that. That's guilt tripping. Uh, It's kind of manipulation, and that's just not part of it. I don't want to go too far into repentance because Sarah preached a great sermon on that last week. So if you weren't here, check that out. And you can get the fill-in on repentance. But suffice to say, forgiveness and repentance are together. 
They work together. They're necessary for each other. You need both sides of it, but one doesn't cause the other, unfortunately, every time. But it opens the door for the other to happen. So let's look at our own hearts. If you were offered forgiveness this week, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because this would be a super embarrassing one um, that would be flattering for no one. But let's say, hypothetically, you were offered forgiveness this week for something that you did not actually uh, maybe want forgiveness for. Something that you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure uh, that, that, that I need to, to repent for anything that I did. Um, or maybe you know that you did, but you just weren't quite ready to actually accept forgiveness. That's a dangerous spot for us to be in. It's a hard place for our hearts to be in, for us to take forgiveness from others and to kind of toss it back into their face. But honestly, we do that with Jesus a lot. Jesus offers forgiveness to us and we kind of take it and chuck it back because we're like, I'm not ready to deal with that thing. I'm not ready to admit that that's an issue in my life. So I'm just going to toss it back. We're saying it's not a gift, it's an insult, and I'm just kind of walking away from it. I don't want to take that thing today. It's a dangerous spot to be in. And so here, here we are at the base of it. Can we be forgiven if we sin constantly? And the answer is an astounding yes. Listen to this quote from Miroslav Wolf. No line can be drawn between those who should be forgiven because they only rarely sin and those who shouldn't because they sin repeatedly. There are no unforgivable people. Let me say that last part one more time because I think at least one of us might need to hear that today. There's no unforgivable people. God never pulls that. It's always out there for you. So, what happens if we choose not to forgive? I'll put this story into context because sometimes Jesus' stories feel a little like vague and out there and you're like, where do you come up with this stuff? So this is kind of one of those, you're like, man, he's a little like negative, you know, when he thinks of stories, you're like, ah, oh, Jesus, can you be positive about it? Like, how do you think of bad rulers all the time? But uh, this, this was a pretty common thing, a common but not uncommon type of thing that rulers would do during that time. And I like to think of it basically like the president during an election year, you know, that time every four years that comes, especially when they're running for re-election, when all of a sudden everything is happy and cheery and they just sign off on all these things. And it's like, yes, give everybody an extra $500. Yes, here you go. Here's your favorite thing that you can have. Here's a gift basket from me to you, your loving leader. This is kind of what this is. The, the ruler or the king is going to the people and saying, yeah, I really don't want you to actually like start uh, a rebellion against me. Uh, this is actually not going in my way. So the worst one of you come to me. Yes, you owe me $6 million. It's gone. Don't worry about it. This would be a common thing that they would do. However, if you were the guy who got forgiven that $6 million and you then went and didn't forgive everybody who owed you money, bad news. You don't get to get out of jail free card just so you can be a jerk to everybody else. That's not how it works. 
And if it did happen to you, if you did that, it was bad news. You would be in a dangerous spot. For the man in Jesus' story, his life turned into a nightmare because he refused to forgive other people. So here's the hard question that Jesus puts before us this morning. The, the way that verse 35 ends points us this way. Does, for, does unforgiveness keep us out of heaven? Is it the one thing that keeps us out of God's presence forever? Because that's kind of what Jesus is not so subtly hinting at in verse 35. And I want to be clear about one thing before I give any answer. Um, there is nothing clear about this passage. So that's like, you know, like sign on this dotted line before I say anything. No, uh, but there's nothing super clear about this. However, here's my thought. Here's the thoughts of lots of other smart people who are much smarter than me, uh, who've studied the Bible for longer than I have. Here's the thought. God has forgiven us, period. It's out there. It's a cake on a table that's never going to be pulled out. You can always go take a bite anytime that you want to. He's never going to take that away from you. But if we fail to show mercy, if we fail to forgive those who have repented, then Jesus is saying we won't be welcomed into God's presence. I don't know if that means forever. Because, you know, honestly, God's pretty vague about um, heaven and how we get there. So we don't know a lot of what ifs about that, honestly. I don't know if it's forever or if it's two weeks. I don't know if it's just until I forgive that person and I'm willing to offer that to them. Although that's what I would kind of guess that it really is. But here's the reality, and I hope this is the reality for you. Two weeks being disconnected from the presence of Jesus isn't something I ever want to mess with. I don't know if it's forever, but I never want to come close enough to forever to have to worry about that. I never want that to have to be a question in my mind. I never want to be so separated from the presence of God that I have to worry about being able to get back in. It's not a line I'm willing to come close to. But I think this isn't as much about God, God's willingness to forgive us as it is about our willingness to accept the, the forgiveness of Jesus. Because if we accept the forgiveness that Jesus came to bring, we're going to forgive other people. If we don't accept the forgiveness that Jesus brings... Forgiving people, especially people who have really hurt us, is going to be an astronomical feat and maybe one that we're not even going to be able to do because it's just too difficult for us to do on our own. We need the forgiveness of Jesus. Let me say it this way. If there is a situation in your heart where you don't want to forgive somebody else, maybe it's because you haven't really accepted fully the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you for what you've done. If we can't acknowledge that God forgives us for everything, it's going to be really hard to forgive other people for that. We only forgive when we've been forgiven. So let's talk about God forgiving us. Verse 27, Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. I love the amount that Jesus tells us. The New Living Translation kind of it translates it to, to American currency. Um, 
but the the original Hebrew or Greek, whichever one, uh, it, the amount that was given there is somewhere between, catch this, 30 million days wages and 100 million days wages. Not making that up. That's the amount of money that Jesus said was forgiven by this guy. 30 million days wages. So if you take the minimum wage, you multiply it by eight, times it by 30 million, you can get there. This is monopoly money. This is a joke. This is a gambler who is like so far into debt in Vegas that he's still sitting at the table gambling because he's like, well, within the next hour, I'm going to get taken out anyway, so I might as well play and see what I can do, see if I get lucky once. This is like a joke amount of money that you could never actually be able to pay back. It's more money, in fact, than was in circulation in the entire country. So picture this. We are loved by a God who lets us get so far into debt that we could never get ourselves out. And he doesn't do it so that he can hold it over our head. He doesn't do it so that we have to go to jail. He doesn't do it uh, so that we uh, have to die. He does it so that he could wipe it completely clean. He wipes it clean. He gives us total and complete debt forgiveness for each and every one of us. Forgiveness always starts with forgiving. Listen to this quote from Miroslav Wolf. He says, For Christians, forgiving always takes place in a triangle involving the wrongdoer, the wronged person, and God. It's not that Jesus was reconciling an angry God to a sinful world. It's not that Jesus was reconciling a sinful world to a loving God. It's that God and Jesus was reconciling the world to himself. That reconciliation is the goal of all of this. What's the purpose of forgiving? What's the purpose of repenting to somebody else? It's so that we can be reconciled. And so as we begin to come to an end, how is reconciliation possible? Well, reconciliation is the point where forgiveness and repentance intersect. It's that spot where my junk, your junk, and Jesus' grace all come smashing into each other. It's the place where all of that gets wiped clean, and the only thing left standing is us in the grace and the love of our Father who gives so abundantly to us. And here's how we reach this goal. Just a couple of thoughts as we think about seeking reconciliation in our own life. First, you need to confront what happened. We need to name what happened, that something was wrong, that it happened and that we're not going to minimize it. We're not going to push it under a rug. We're not going to pretend like it didn't happen just so that we could get over the awkward part and move on. Real forgiveness, real reconciliation involves that. It's hard, it's painful, and it takes time. But it's worth it. And we need to admit, secondly, that, we have real, that real emotions have come up, that real harm has happened because of the offense. We admit that we've been hurt, and yet, and here's where Jesus starts to come in. We don't hold the harm against the other person. Because of number three, because we choose to pursue forgiveness. We're offering grace to those in our lives. And then we strive for reconciliation with the offender. 
and the rules of this can be all over the place. If, if it's a dangerous situation, that changes it. If they don't want to repent, if they don't want to acknowledge it, that changes it. Lots of things can change that reality, but that's where we're moving towards is always reconciliation because God is always seeking reconciliation with us. Always, every single time, He is moving towards that with us when we've done so many things to hurt him. Why go through this? Because forgiveness changes us. It releases love in us that we didn't think was possible. It allows us to step into a cycle of grace that flows from Jesus to us to others, and it keeps going because forgiveness is always a triangle. And I hope that you're picturing that reality. It's never just two people in reconciliation. It's always three. Because Jesus is always there in the middle of it. He's always working in both people's hearts when it's moving in that direction. So let me end with a couple of stories. So about uh, 10 or 12 years ago, something like that, I was in a similar spot to you. I was sitting in church when the pastor was talking about forgiveness or uh, family or something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what it was. But he was talking about what do you do when you need to seek reconciliation with somebody, but it's like, it's just a little too volatile. You can't actually, you know, if you sit down and you're like, dude, the thing that you did, you're, it's, not gonna, it's not gonna end well. What do you do in that situation? And his suggestion was that you write a letter. You apologize for what you've done. You've tossed it out there. You say, this is also what hurt me about the things that you said and that you did. You offer grace. You offer forgiveness to them. And so I did that. And I did it for my mom. Because my mom and I have had a rough relationship most all of my life. My birth mom died when I was a baby, and my dad remarried when I was two. And let's just say we didn't get along in a lot of different ways. And it was very uh, difficult, uh, and other words, at different times of my childhood. And so here I was in my early 20s, and just looking at my heart, and I was like, I kind of can't get past this. It's just kind of the thing that sits there. It's the thing that holds on to me. So I wrote her a letter. Because I knew that face-to-face was not going to be a good resolution to this. So I wrote her a letter, and I apologized for the things that I had said, uh, the ways that I had acted all through growing up. And I laid out the things that she had done. And I said, I forgive you. And I sent it in the mail to her. I would love to say that there was this big tearful... uh, meeting that happened immediately after that. Um, Unfortunately, and this is probably actually more helpful, I don't think that we've ever talked about that letter, my mom and I. It's just what it is. But my dad talked to me about it. And he told me that she did get it. And she didn't agree with everything I said, which I kind of, (laughs) that was a guarantee. Like I knew that was going to be the case. Uh, That's always the case in these types of things, right? Uh, She didn't agree with everything. But that me apologizing 
and putting it out there and offering forgiveness began to break something in her own heart. That something began to change for her. And you know, like honestly, it's great that it did in her heart, but it would have been worth it just for what it did in mine. Because it gave me an opportunity to lay it all out there and to walk away and to not be so bound by everything that had happened. I began to be free just by writing that out and sending it to her. I began to know what forgiveness was for me in my life because I wasn't held back by this reality anymore. I still had a lot of baggage. I still had to go to counseling. Uh, I still had a lot of stuff to work through. That's a guarantee. But something had begun from that moment on. And my attitude when engaging with my mom from that moment on changed a heck of a lot. I'll say that. I was able to go in with grace instead of anger, frustration, and bitterness. The Orthodox tradition has uh, this uh, thing that they do once a year that's called Forgiveness Sunday. And I love the idea behind this. Once a year, everybody in the church lines up across from each other and asks forgiveness of every other person in the church. They all look at each other go line, you know, person by person and rotate. It must take out the entire service. But they all ask forgiveness from everybody else that's sitting there. Think about this. Sure, there's strangers asking forgiveness of strangers, and it's like, okay, great, this is the easy one. But there's also moms asking forgiveness from their kids. There's kids repenting to their parents. There's best friends who are looking at each other and forced to acknowledge the ways that they've hurt each other over the past year. And I think this part, probably because I'm a pastor and this is a good one, there's the enraged church member standing across from the pastor and they both have to ask forgiveness. They both have to ask they both have to repent for the ways that they've responded to each other. And I think there's something beautiful about that space that's created when we take it as a part of our call as followers of Jesus to ask to forgive, to put aside the things that we want to hold on to and to give it up and say, nope, reconciliation matters more. So worship team comes back up. Let's stand. I want to ask you three questions, three simple questions this morning. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to repent to? And how do you need to accept the forgiveness of Jesus in your own heart this morning? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you will come and begin to work in our hearts. Jesus, I know that for so many of us here today that, that we, we want to live lives that reflect your character, that reflect your love. So I just ask that you'll help us to take the steps that we need to take for that to be a reality. Help us to forgive. Help us to give grace to other people. 
And I just pray, Jesus, that this morning for each one of us here who hasn't accepted your forgiveness, just let us know that today. Nothing we have to do other than just reach out and take it. You don't have any, any hoops that we have to jump through. It's just sitting out there. Let each and every one of us walk out of here today knowing the full forgiveness that you want to bring to our hearts. We say we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.